Welcome to Spirit Behind the Screen. Each episode, your host, Marty McCurdy, deep dives on industry trends around high-reliability electronics and the supply chain in aerospace and defense. This is episode 22 with Matt Kreiner, talking about Hitachi's XRF analyzers. Good morning. This is Marty McCurdy with Spirit Electronics and our podcast Behind the Screen. And today I am with Matt Kreiner and Matt is with Hitachi XRF. Uh, so Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Great. Well, uh, as as you and I both know, uh, Spirit has invested in one of the Hitachi high-end XRFs. Uh, our motto, I believe, is EA6000VX. And uh, we just wanted to kind of get on the air with you and uh, find out a little bit more about the XRF environment from your perspective on you know, what's happening with new applications out there, maybe a, a roadmap where Hitachi is headed uh, in their XRF applications, and just kind of you know, touch base with each other on, on um, the opportunity and, and the science. Okay, sounds good. Very good. Well, uh, as far as XRF goes, uh, for those of you that are not familiar, X-ray fluorescent, basically, and for Spirit's investment on the XRF, it was because we have multiple customer base in the aerospace and defense that actually do XRF on every lot of parts coming in. So basically the, the, the need for us or the means of use for us is is pretty simple. We're looking at the interconnect, whether it be an FBGA ball or a lead frame, especially one that has had uh, some kind of solder dipping to allow us to understand what, what compound we have. So when you are out there in the field or when, when you're approaching your customers, what kind of applications specifically do you have? And maybe if you can touch a little bit more on, on our usage as well. Yeah, sure. So XRF is a very versatile technique. Uh, it's used for elemental analysis, and that can be composition testing and also plating thickness, and you can do thickness and composition as well. So there are a lot of different applications. What you're using it for, um, sometimes referred to high reliability testing, looking for uh, the presence of lead. It can do the exact opposite of that as well, which is making sure there is no lead in a product that needs to be ROHS or ROS compliant. Uh, straight up, coating thickness for circuit boards, looking at ENIG coatings, looking at any peg, immersion tin, immersion silver. Uh, beyond the electronics world, it's also used in uh, metal finishing for chrome thickness, CAD thickness, more pleasant things like zinc, zinc nickel plating, uh, plating on plastic as well. And then beyond that, there are different form factors for the XRF for doing specific things. So we have XRF that is designed for identifying what grade of metal you're looking at. So it can give you the grade identification and the composition. Uh, there are uses of XRF for looking at plating bath analysis, bath chemistry. Uh, the XRF can also be used for oil analysis, looking at sulfur for automotive applications, as well as marine and jet fuels. And then as well, minerals, cement, paper, wood, pharmaceuticals, food, on and on and on. There is, it's really a, a fun technique and quite usable. Yes, very nice. Uh, my background is in some metals uh, from an ultrasound experience uh, that I have uh, did ultrasound for many years. And 
And when you talk about metals that you're testing, are you saying, you know, you're looking at 303 stainless or titanium or whatever, something like that to get the full grade of that material? Yeah. So you can do the grade identification and the, the composition. So if you're looking at 303 versus 304, 304 versus 316 stainless, what grade aluminum is it? What grade titaniums, coppers, uh, so on and so forth. So XRF itself is generally limited on the periodic table between, let's call it roughly sodium and uranium. There are a lot of alloys that are defined by their carbon content and uh, lighter elements such as beryllium. And those are not things that XRF can do, but those are things that other techniques like optical emission or OES or uh, laser induced breakdown spectroscopy, LIBS, can do. And those are also products that the Hitachi works with. Nice. And then uh, you also mentioned coating. So uh, let's dive in there a little bit. So are you talking about an anodizing type coating or, you know, what kind of coatings are measurable and, and possibly like in the automotive world, right? I can assume that there's must be some applications there for that. Yep. So coatings is a bit of a, a broad category. So with XRF, we tend to work more with electroplating and heavy metal uh, deposits. So that can be something like an electroless nickel uh, or zinc or tin, chrome, titanium, uh, metallic uh, elements, metallic alloys, or even uh, organic compounds that have metals in them. Uh, when you get into anodizing, um, XRF needs to have some way to differentiate the coating from the substrate. So when you have an anodized aluminum, for example, there's a little bit of oxygen in that anodize. That's really the only difference. Otherwise it's aluminum on top of aluminum. X-ray fluorescence can't tell the difference there. Uh, to do that kind of thickness analysis, uh, you would use an electromagnetic gauge, an eddy current gauge, uh, which is another product that Hitachi does have in the, the coatings market. Um, so in the automotive world, again, you're, you're looking at similar kinds of elements, but maybe different stacks. So there, there's an awful lot of uh, chrome coatings uh, and zinc coatings in the automotive world. And that could be on valves, gears, pistons, uh, shafts, and then get into plating on plastic again in the inside of the vehicle. And one world that is certainly changing in, in is automotive. A couple of years ago, five, 10 years ago, uh, almost 100% of the cost of a car was metallic and polymer and a few other, and then the paint itself on top of it. And right now uh, it's trending toward 40% of the cost of a vehicle is gonna become the electronics inside of it. Uh, so the, the cars are certainly picking up an awful lot of similarity to what you have in front of you today with a, a laptop, a cell phone, a TV, more as much in common with that as it did to the old uh, horse and buggy. So it's, it's kind of a rapidly evolving world and uh, it, it's fun to see that happen. It's also fun to, to watch the automotive world getting to lighter weight materials. Uh, so they're using more magnesium, more aluminums uh, throughout the vehicle, uh, which is changing some of the coatings and the, the plating applications on top of that as well. And then obviously with the uh, advent of, or the adoption of EVs, uh, that paradigm is shifting an awful lot. There's far fewer uh, heavy metal plated components in the vehicle and a lot more uh, lightweight material. Yeah, that's a, a great description, actually. And I, I'll, I think it's funny because I 
I am from central Pennsylvania, and I still go home, and, and I go back to my roots, and there's a lot of Amish buggies on the road, and then I get back here, and I get into Tesla, which I've had for about seven years, and the only reason I don't get another car is because that's the only one I want. I just buy another Tesla, and it's true, the electronics, uh, you know, a lot of the allocation issues going on in our market space for distribution is because of the consumption of them by uh, automotive. So yeah, it's a changing world for sure. I, I see both ends of that spectrum, right? Yep. So let's talk a little bit, um, I'm curious, I just wanna dive a little bit deeper into some of the conversation that we've had so far about the applications and the metals and the coatings and things like that. So in the XRF itself, just the functionality of it, um, is the is the X-ray similar to a, a standard X-ray looking for density differences in the materials, or, or what kind of penetration depth? Is it actually going through the entire uh, material that we're inspecting or just surface uh, uh, penetration? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so the fundamentals of the X-ray source, which in all the applications you spoke about is an X-ray tube. Uh, in all of those, you have the same principle. Uh, there's executed at different power ratings, depending on what you're trying to do. So whether you're trying to uh, inspect something, whether you're trying to get a dental or medical x-ray, or if you're taking an XRF measurement, the x-ray tube is, is pretty similar throughout all of those. Uh, the power rating definitely has an impact as to what you can actually look at. And then the characteristics of the matter that you're trying to measure also have an impact as to how you can measure it. So with an X-ray fluorescence benchtop analyzer, similar to what you have, uh, it's a 50 kV system, 50 watts of power, uh, which is enough to go through uh, layers of uh, coatings and platings on top of material, but it's only designed to go into uh, the first, uh, let, let's call it microns of depth into a material and how far into a material the x-rays can penetrate is dependent on the density of the material. So if you look at a very clean polymer, uh, the x-rays from an x-ray tube and an XRF can travel about 10 millimeters into a clean polymer. If you had a piece of steel, it's only going in a couple of tenths of a millimeter. So the density of the material that you're trying to measure, the specific elements that are in the material have a huge impact as to how far into the, the part itself it can penetrate. So when we look at a plated metal, so if you had landing gear, so chrome plated hard steel, chrome plated hard aluminum, um, the x-rays have to go through that chrome layer. Fine, it can do that. And it has to stop somewhere in the, the, the substrate as well. And trying to figure out that ratio is exactly how the XRF is coming up with the coating thickness itself or the plating thickness itself. So there are things that can affect how that's going to work. The density of the plating, if that changes from uh, hard chrome to uh, a decorative uh, soft chrome then or hex chrome, um, your XRF results could be affected, but there are ways that you can deal with this inside your instrument. And uh, that's what we do at Hitachi is figure out ways to, to solve those problems. Yeah, that's a, a great explanation. I mean, I think in all of the, I refer to them as the non-destructive world, right? Even eddy current, uh, I've, I've done a little bit of that in my past as well. So all of the non-destructive sciences that really are looking at materials and metals 
uh, it really is an understanding of the metal and the and the science the most, and then the tool gives us the the ability to do the work basically. So uh, back in the day, you know, you had to do a lot more, um, you know, hands-on kind of analysis. It wasn't it, we didn't have all the electronics behind it uh, back then. So I think one of the features that I love about this Hitachi XRF that we have is that it it has an auto mode where you it literally will look at the uh, area of inspection and give you every analyst of uh, analysis of each individual component that's in there, regardless of of its of its depth. So I've seen we've we put all kinds of crazy things in there, of course, and I've seen it spit out like 20 different elements within something. So. I think that's an exciting feature of it, especially you know if you have no idea what your your component or your or your product is. So um, I like that feature and some of the other software features about the Hitachi. So is that kind of your niche in the market space, or is that um, you know like where does Hitachi lead in that kind of um, benchtop setup? Yep. So. Hitachi is kind of interesting in that it's it's one company today, but it has lineage in four different XRF companies and or four or five different companies that have all kind of come together under the Hitachi umbrella. So we have expertise and experiences in different market segments with different form factors and different applications of the technology. And rather than being siloed in individual companies, they've all kind of come together. So we get the the best parts of things we that one company might have done in benchtop analysis, and we take the best parts of something that was specialized in handheld XRF. And there are three coatings XRF companies that have come together uh, with very different design philosophies and different software approaches, and we're able to take the best pieces of each of those things and, and mash them together. Uh, the EA6000, uh, the EA6000VX is a really good example of bulk analysis where you can measure a solder ball. It doesn't even have to be on the BGA. You can just have a loose solder ball there. Take a measure, measurement of that and you'll get your composition. Coding thickness, which is also part of the EA6000VX software. And there's another part of it, which is called elemental mapping. Uh, elemental mapping is where you can put a bunch of components onto the stage, or you can have a really complex assembly that has a lot of features and components already mounted on it. And instead of doing a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 discrete measurements one at a time and having the operator sit there and measure each single one of those and move across, the elemental mapping feature will automatically scan left to right, back and forth, and it goes over the entire area and produces a nice map that'll have uh, different elements present with uh, basically heat mapping. And I'll tell you where's their high concentration of this element, whether that's a coding or whether it's composition analysis, doesn't matter. It's going to show you there's an awful lot of lead here. There's no lead over here. Here's a lot of tin plating. Here's a lot of gold. And as the operator, you can go back in there and say, well, this area is really interesting. Let me highlight it and do an analysis over here and get a really discrete measurement and one discrete component. So again, you're taking an operator from spending hours in front of the instrument to spending a few minutes setting it up and then spending more time analyzing it. That feature is one of the reasons that we sometimes refer to the EA6000VX as a light SEM or a cheap man's <laughs> SEM <laughs> um, because you can do a lot of similar functions 
uh, with that as you could with a SEM with an EDX attachment to it. And again, part of the reason that we're able to do that as part of Hitachi is Hitachi has really good SEMs. So we know that elemental mapping is, is valued by customers for exactly this purpose, high volume screening and uh, doing that kind of analysis. And you're able to combine those different technologies from different parts of the Hitachi world into a single instrument to, to deliver more value. So you got the 6,000 is a really fun instrument to play with. Uh, I personally started uh, in the company as an applications engineer. So testing random things from all kinds of, of companies, trying to measure who knows what. And I didn't have the EA 6000 uh, when I first started, but that's the, exactly the kind of tool I would love to have played with back then because it, I would just take everything and just put it in there just to see what the XRF would tell you. So that, yeah. that's, it is a fun toy when it's not going through its uh, daily load. Uh, it, it is fun just to set up some routines and see what the XRF wants to tell you. Yeah, no, it is exciting, uh, especially if, you know, you're in the mindset of, uh, that we are of, you know, that it is exciting. I, I remember in the uh, doing ultrasound, uh, same thing. We would have absolutely everything walk in our door, right, from uh, 747 wheels to uh, food products and, and just every possible thing, you know, nuclear submarine, you know, fuel rods. I mean, you name it, we customized everything. And the team that we had at the time, they're still in business, but for themselves actually, and and uh, we they still inspect dovetails um, on uh, aircraft engines mm -hmm. for GE and Pratt. So there's, you know, it, it really does uh, hit something close to my heart that I have always loved, and I love the the material side of it. So, do you have any uh, stories for us of like the most interesting thing you've ever tested? Any any oddballs come in the door? Um. Yeah, I, I, starting in applications, you do test an awful lot of things. Um, some of those materials become kind of routine. So you do an awful lot of oil testing, whether it's for you know, gas, diesel, whatever, or lubricating oils for, for engines. It's kind of fun to see the, the different mixes there. Um, but there, is, there are things that stick with you, either because you can picture it or you can smell them. And some of the ones that, that come to mind uh, right away are some that had to do with food. Uh, some of them were, were measuring some baking mixes, trying to figure out, is there enough salt in here? Too much salt, that kind of stuff. Um, cheese, which is kind of fun when you expose um, cheese to an XRF. Eventually, the sample is going to start to heat up a little bit. So you end up with a bit of melted <laughs> cheese inside the instrument um, over time, which isn't a desirable thing. But uh, one of the ones I did was uh, testing some uh, processed meat uh, for baby food, chicken nugget kind of things. And, and that was a fun one because it would show up in small plastic containers and it just looked like pink goo. And you put it into the instrument and you're trying to and you ask the question, what are we looking for in here? And they would tell you you're looking for calcium. And you go, oh, that's interesting. Why, why is there calcium in here? Is it additive? Is it for, uh, for health benefits? They go, no, there's a regulation as to how much bone is allowed to be in, in this meat. And we're trying to figure out how much bone is in there based on the calcium content. Like, ooh, interesting. So, so you learn something from there. But uh, we, we also had some people come in uh, more or less off the street and, and said, I'll collect meteorites. I was out in a field for the last three, week, three weeks and I have these rocks. Can we test them and find out if they're meteorites? And you go, I, maybe. 
we can do some testing for you and we can figure out uh, what's in there. And if you can look at the chemical composition of that, then you can figure out, does it make sense? Is it from this part of the world, that part of the world, or does it have something that started someplace else in, in the solar system? Uh, so that's kind of fun. One that I didn't do, but have read about and seen some papers on, uh, people found a way, I think this is in Japan, they found a way to have a probe go into uh, the meat of an oyster. And so they actually put an XRF probe into the oyster to look for mercury inside the meat, inside the shell. Like, whoo, that's fun. Uh, but the, the, there was the, the, the two other ones that I think were, were kind of interesting. This isn't a, a fun, uh, necessarily a interesting sample, but it's an interesting time. Uh, about a decade ago when the, the US launched the CPSIA, Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act, we ran a program in Mobile, Alabama, where the, the residents were encouraged to bring their kids' toys to a, a baseball stadium and said, if you're concerned that your kid's toy might have lead in it, come by and we'll test it. And this is something we we're asked to, to bring our equipment to. So we did. And there were people that would come up and say, I'm concerned. My kid puts this in their mouth all the time. Can you test it? Fine. You take a quick measurement, say, this looks fine. They bring it home. And there were people that you would take a measurement for them. And you tell them there's no lead, this looks fine. And they'd be disappointed because it would be something really loud and, and obnoxious. And the parents were looking for a reason to get the toy out of the house. And we had to tell them, no, no, this toy is okay. You can keep bringing it home. No, 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 tell me it's bad. No, it, it really does look, it's okay. You need a little hush money for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, that was fun. Funny. I, 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 I think, think the most in, the most funny. intimidating one uh, was that uh, I was working an exhibition in uh, in Peru, and this is with our handheld XRF group. And you're working the show, and it's kind of a, a slow day, as exhibitions tend to be sometimes. And all of a sudden, you see this mass of people, cameras, lights, walking through here. And one of the guys says, "All right." This is the general from the Peruvian army. And he wants to say hello. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's go talk to him. And we're sitting there and explaining what we do and what the other products on the booth were like. And we explained how the, the XRF can be used to determine composition. And he hands me his baton that's gold plated and says, wow. I want to know the, the composition of this. It's an easy enough measurement, but you're sitting there and the general's handing you his baton. Like, okay, I'm going to get this right. <laughs> Let's be careful. And I hope it's good gold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope I give him the right answer, at least what he wanted to see. Now, it, it is fun, but with, with the handheld in particular, um, you end up with that in your house and, and you do just walk around the house and you measure your wallboard, you measure your paint, you measure your toys, you measure your desk, you measure your jewelry. And uh, jewelry is one where you can find some unpleasant surprises. But right. if you don't, what right. I tell people with jewelry is if you don't want to know, don't measure it. If you like that yeah. piece and it's important to you and it's valuable to you, doesn't matter what the composition is. Right, exactly. That's what I think of food, right? Like if it's if it's good and I, it's tasty, I don't need to know what it is or what's in it. Just uh, keep keep the mystery alive, right? Absolutely. Does it <laughs> taste good? Yes, I'm going to eat it today. <laughs> exactly. Well, do you have uh, that? Was a, a great conversation. Are the um, are the allocations on electronics affecting? Uh, manufacturing or production for Hitachi right now, or are you guys pretty solid on your supply chain? I think we have similar issues to, to everyone else in the electronics chain where there's there's some disruptions, but uh, fortunately we're, we're in control of an awful lot of our supply chain, especially some of the, the critical components. Uh, 
because Hitachi does manufacture in-house. Uh, we manufacture in our own facilities in Japan, China, Germany, Finland, and uh, the U.S. Um, we keep close tabs on it. We're talking to our direct suppliers, so we're not three steps away from uh, from the original source. So we're in pretty good uh, position. Um, there have been some hiccups. There have been some bumps, and, and as everyone is seeing, there's uh, some uh, push and pull on the supply chain, so that the lead times kind of shift around a little bit. But uh, we've kept our lead times, generally speaking, pretty resilient uh, throughout that time. And uh, I, I think what a lot of people are doing is is they're hoarding some components. You know, semiconductors are, are last year's toilet paper. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you can find them, you grab them and, and you yeah. stock up. And uh, as you need them, you go through them. And, and people are accepting a little bit of higher cost in the inventory side of the business uh, to ensure the production uh, can continue rolling and we can get these products out to customers. Yeah, sounds like you have a solid plan there, so that's good to hear. Well, Matt, it's been lovely chatting with you today. I think that uh, I hope our listeners uh, found uh, the XRF conversation enlightening and uh, entertaining to boot. Um, so I appreciate that, and as always, we'll stay in touch. And thanks again, Matt, from Hitachi uh, on the XRF with us today. Sounds good. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening with Spirit this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to let us know what you want to hear about in aerospace and defense. You can find out more about Spirit's value-added services and product lines at spiritelectronics.com.